Let me let you know a little secret about me. I love those personality tests. I love them. I have taken all of them. So I am a, uh, on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, who's familiar with the Enneagram? A couple, a couple in here online. I think there's a couple online as well. If you're online and watching us, go ahead and put your Enneagram number in on the chat. That would be really cool. I'd love to see that later. Uh, but I am a three with a two wing. Now, if that means something to you, that's, that's great. If it doesn't mean anything to you, that's okay. You're just not as cool as me. That's all that means. I also, I love the Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENFJ. I've taken the ones with the, like the four colors, red, yellow, blue, and green. I'm a Red. Uh, I'm not taking the one with the, the, li the lion, the otter, there's a, a golden retriever, there's something other animal. Help me out. What is it? Nobody knows. It's okay. I've taken that one. I, there's, I actually took our staff through one that we called um, the working genius assessment. And, and so we've got nine staff members. And so all of us took it. And it shows what our working geniuses are, what our working frustrations are. And, and I'm a nerd. So I kind of mapped them all out into a spreadsheet and color coded them reds and yellows and greens. It was awesome. What was fun about that, though, was checking out and, and just kind of enjoying and reveling in the fact that we're all different and unique, that our personalities are different that what Ricky and Craig are good at are not the same things that Lori and I are good at or that Greg is good at. The fact that we're different is what makes us interesting and unique. And I believe God uses us differently as a direct result of that. I think what I have to remind myself, though, sometimes is that whenever I pick up the pages of Scripture, I have to be reminded that the characters that we read about and that I read about were actual, real, honest-to-goodness people. They had emotions and characters and personalities, and they had different personalities. Guys like Peter, who was a kind of a big personality guy and a big mouth guy, honestly. And then you had guys like um, you, you had guys like, like, like Matthew, who was a tax collector. So essentially, he worked for the Roman government. And then on the other side of the aisle, you had Simon, who was a zealot who literally fought against the Roman oppressors in violent ways. And you had guys like Thomas, who we're going to spend a little time talking about today. Well, Thomas was a realist. Now, there's that classic example, right? You have a glass of water, and it's half full of water. So the, the optimist says it's half full, right? The pessimist says it's half empty. The realist looks at it and says, both of you are nuts. It's both half full and half empty, and it's mine, so stop touching my water. There's a problem, though, with these personality tests. You see, sometimes what we do is that we limit ourselves as a direct result of the personality that we have. Maybe you're an introvert. And what you say is, you know what, I'm not willing to talk <laughs> in group. Or I'm not, I can't lead anything because I just don't want to talk. You know, I've heard that in my office. One of the joys of my job is that I get to help people do things they wouldn't normally do with people that they normally wouldn't hang out with for a God that they can't see. My job's easy. People also take those personality profiles and they go, oh, look, I, I, I'm an introvert or I'm an engineer. Don't ask me to share my feelings. I'm not doing that. Or they say, you know what? I'm, I'm a free spirit. I can't plan anything. It'll be fine. The longer they stretch out the word fine, the less I trust them. I'm just, this kind of makes me weird. Jesus meets us where we are, all of us, with our past, with our present, with our hurts, with our hang-ups, with our personalities. 
Let's take a look at the pages of Scripture for a minute. So I think it's important to recognize the pattern of Jesus and see if we can apply some of that to our own lives. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And let me set the scene while you're pulling that out. If you've got a device with you, go ahead and pull that up or a Bible. We'll also put it on the screens here. John, chapter 20, Jesus has lived for three years with 12 men called the disciples. They were his best friends, his protégés, his ministry confidants. They walked with him, and they ate with him, and they did everything with him. And they all, to the man, promised that they would be with him to the very end. And whenever Jesus needed them most, in the moment whenever he was going to a cross to die for the sins, not only of them, but for all of humanity for the end of time, every single one of them bailed. Jesus dies. And for these disciples, their life is over. Everything has changed. Jesus rises three days later, Friday night, Sunday morning. The disciples have heard rumors from some women who at that time you couldn't necessarily trust the word of a woman, so they don't know for sure. And they're hiding out. Let's pick up in verse 19 of chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. These men who had followed the king of kings around, the Lord of all heaven, were afraid. They were scared. They had isolated themselves. And suddenly, Jesus was there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, we've talked, a couple months ago, I talked about peace. I talked about that was more than just an absence of war, but that was shalom. That was prosperity. That was wholeness. That was getting back to what was right. That's exactly what the disciples needed. All of them needed that. As he spoke, he showed them, this is Jesus, showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, and this is important, watch this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is good too. For if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is monumentally huge. For the disciples, their world had been rocked. Everything was different, and they were wondering whether it was worth it to even go on. Jesus appears in their moment of need. And Jesus says, I have sent you. Jesus welcomes them in. You know what? It's actually fascinating what Jesus doesn't say here. If it was me, I would have said, where were you jerks? I needed you and you bailed. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus simply tells them peace. He gives them a moment of acceptance. 
He gives them a moment of comfort. And now he's going to turn that around and make them very uncomfortable. Because it's one thing to be welcomed and invited. It's something radically different to be made uncomfortable and sent out. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The one who is there at the dawn of all creation. Who is intimately involved in the creation of the heavens, the earth, the waters, and the sky. That Holy Spirit is what Jesus gave to his disciples. He gave them power. And we know he gave them power because of the very next sentence. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. The only people who were allowed to forgive sins during this time was God himself. It's one of the reasons why Jesus was constantly in trouble. He went around forgiving people's sins like he was God because he was God. The disciples were given the permission and the power of Jesus himself. They were now forced into a very uncomfortable position. The next sentence is interesting. Verse 24 picks up and says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Thomas had another nickname you might be more familiar with, which is the doubting Thomas. But in this case, his nickname is the twin. Thomas was not with the others when Jesus came. Thomas, that realist, was not an optimist. He didn't just believe for no reason. He needed to see it with his own eyes. And for him... His idea of dealing with the situation was to isolate himself from the others and get by himself. You may be like that in this room. You know, whenever the whole thing went down last year around this time, you might have just said, you know what, I'm going to just get by myself and not be with people. And then there's a drug on and drug on and drug on. And then we watched the news and we watched racial tensions and we watched an election. Maybe your reaction was to just start isolating to start closing in. That was Thomas. That was his reaction. That might not have been the most healthy reaction either. Verse 24 says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, (laughs) I won't believe it. Until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. A full week goes by. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Again, what's fascinating here is not what Jesus says. That's fascinating. But what blows me away is what he doesn't say. He doesn't look at Thomas and say, why didn't you have any faith? He doesn't look at Thomas and say, you know what? Your personality is really getting in the way of your doing stuff. You know, he doesn't say, Thomas... You're disqualified. He doesn't do that. Your doubt 
does not disqualify you from God doing amazing and big things in your life. And you know what? Your personality also does not disqualify you from God doing big things in your life. Here's Thomas's response to Jesus. My Lord and my God. Whenever I get the opportunity to baptize kids, I ask them, I said, have you made Jesus your Savior and the boss of your life? And that's a fun way for kids to be able to recognize and understand what that word Lord really means. Because we don't use that word anymore. For a kid to understand that he's the boss of me, that's a big deal. Because no kid wants to have, I want, I want to be the boss. <laughs> I'm just saying. Thomas recognizes something very, very important. That Jesus was not only God, but that he was also Lord, the boss. The one who accepted Thomas just as he was. The one who welcomed Thomas in, personality, warts and all, just the way he was. Verse 29 picks up and says, Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Thomas, I'm dealing with you the way you need me to deal with you right now. But, and we saw this, right? Place of comfort, place of acceptance, place of welcoming. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas, I'm accepting you and welcoming you just the way you are. But there's no bait and switch here. You know this is going to happen. I'm going to turn you and point you in a new direction. I'm going to make you uncomfortable because that is where growth happens. That is where maturity happens. That is what Jesus wants from Thomas, from all of us. Then there's two fascinating little sentences that we typically will just kind of throw away in our sermons and stuff like that, but I chose not to. Verse 30 picks up and says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you, and John means you, John means me, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John picks up on the social cue here. John picks up on what Jesus is doing. John says, you know what? You need this. You need this book, you need these words of Jesus, and you need to understand that by believing in Jesus, you also can be turned and pointed into a place of discomfort because you can live with power. You see, Jesus accepted Thomas with everything that he was. I think it's our turn now. One of the things that we discovered is that as a result of this pandemic, the world isn't the same as it was 12 months ago. It's different. Things that were already set in motion have become accelerated. Whenever I go shopping, I grab my phone first. I look on Amazon, do I like that price? Then I'll go over to the store and I go, ooh, I don't know if I like that price, I don't know about that price. And I look back on Amazon. We are able to move back and forth and navigate a digital and physical world easier and better and faster than we ever have before. 
and also because of our phones, you're not allowed to ever say, I don't know anymore. <laughs> One of my, if my sons, if I ask my sons a question, like, I don't know, I'm like, that's not good enough for me. You can literally find out now. As opposed to the 17 volume Encyclopedia Britannica that I had as a kid, <laughs> a couple of them around here. It, those of you that don't know what that is, it's a massive like Wikipedia, okay? That's, it, it was like multiple volumes, hardbound. Information is at your fingertips in ways that it never was before. And because of Zoom, our relationships are very much digital and physical. Because of text, our relationships are very much digital and physical. Our church needs to respond to that. Our church needs to live in that space. We brought in cameras last summer because we had to. Now we do it because we want to. Because we know that the more people that are watching online, and for those of you that are watching online, thank you so much. Your experience here is just as valid and just as good as every single person sitting in this seat. Your heart matters just as much as every single person sitting in this seat. Your salvation matters to Jesus just as much as it does the people sitting in this seat. And so because of that, we want to invest in you more. We want to be a, a place of relationship for you more. We want to invest more in you than we ever have before. What we also know is that this next generation is demanding real community. That sitting in a seat in a worship service that you consume isn't enough anymore. Never really was enough for Jesus either. I mean, he gave sermons and all of that, but his ministry really had power and sticky-to-itiveness by his relationship with the disciples. So if you're not in a life group, now's the chance to get in. Understand what real community looks like with real personalities, all of them different. Every single time I sit down with my small group, I recognize, because some of us are just weird, that we've got different personalities in the room and we have different opinions on politics and the scriptures and all sorts of things, and it's fun because we care about each other and we love each other and so those political conversations don't devolve into <laughs> like they do in other places in other arenas that's what community looks like that's what growth looks like and this generation is demanding a church that makes a very real difference in the community around it never before or never again are we going to be allowed as a church to just fill a seat and not reach the houses that are on this side and that side and those over there and those back there. Every single person in those houses matters. Every single person in our zip code matters. You know, there's like 60,000 people that live just in our zip code. Every single one of them matters to Jesus. They need to start mattering to us as well. If we don't change and adapt ourselves to meet their needs, 
this church will close its doors within my generation. And I'm 46. And I don't know about you, that terrifies me. I won't let it happen. This church does a, a lot of amazing things. And this church is also committed to some things that won't ever change. The first being the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That Jesus loves us, that he died on a cross to rescue us and save us from our sins. And because he did that, he demands our submission to him, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, and all the way through the end of the week. Not just in the morning whenever you have your little quiet time and read your Bible app and check the boxes, but every moment of every day. That gospel matters to a lost and hurting world. That the spirit that Jesus has placed in us, if you are his child, is powerful. Check out this verse from 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of, and you say the word, power, and, and. You know what will never change? This church will make decisions to do things that force us into our uncomfort zone. Why? Because we believe in a spirit that doesn't include fear. Because we believe in a spirit that includes power, love, and self-control. We will make decisions that force us to put ourselves second so that Jesus can be first and so that this community can be reached. Here's what I want you to remember. If you remember nothing else, remember this. It is time for us to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Jesus welcomed the disciples, welcomed Thomas, made him feel comfortable. But that was not a bait and switch. Jesus said so going in. This was what was going to happen. And ladies and gentlemen, those of you watching online, those of you in person, there's no bait and switch here either. We're going to make you feel uncomfortable at some point in time. If you've been sitting in a life group for several years, now's the time to lead one. I don't care if you're an introvert or not. You can lead a life group. We will give you the tools that you need to do that. This fall, we want to start 10 new life groups, both on campus and off campus, meeting all sorts of different days of the week in all sorts of areas around this city because that community matters that much. So if you've been sitting in a group it's time to talk to Joe Otwell. It's time to talk to Joe Otwell and say, you know what, I've been sitting. <laughs> I've been enjoying it. But I think God's poking at me, telling me it's time to move forward. If you have got kids or like kids or just don't hate kids, and you've never been over in that building over there except for hanging out in the fellowship hall, now's the time to get uncomfortable. You get a cool teal shirt that says, you belong here in the back. We're looking for in the fall, because of a growing demand, 35 new people serving in our next-gen ministries, anywhere from preschool all the way up to high school. 
And that's going to make you uncomfortable because teenagers can sniff out whenever you're just being a jerk. I'm just saying. And kids, if you don't have a plan, they're going to, they're going to like tie you up to a chair and they're going to swing from the chandeliers. And, and we've got VBS, Summer Jam VBS coming up in just a few weeks. We're going to have probably 300 kids in this room. We're going to have to put more seats in the room. I'm just saying, we're going to have to put more seats in this room. But we're going to have kids, not just church kids, not just kids from other churches. But yesterday, a team of people went out and put door hangers on doors all over this community, inviting kids from this community to this place at this time. And you know what? We still need more people to step up. We still need more people to be willing to hang out with preschoolers and elementary age kids. And it's in the evening, you can still go to work. <laughs> if you really wanted to. I usually try not to. Those days, I'm so tired because I'm old. If you've never consistently given to the ministries of Fort Caroline Baptist Church, this is your time. The need has never been greater. The community needs us like it never has before. If you've been struggling, I get it. I get you. This church is here for you. We offer Celebrate Recovery every Friday night. We offer Financial Peace University. We'll pick back what we just finished up one term. We're going to pick up another one in the fall. We offer pastoral counseling. We offer grief share. We just, again, finished a term, and we're going to start another one in the fall. We have got faithful and true for those who are struggling with sexual addictions, and we are, in the fall, going to start divorce care for those who are working through the pain of divorce. This church meets needs. But in order to do that, we need the funds to make it possible. And we need the leaders to make it real. So if it's time for you to jump in, if it's time for you to get uncomfortable then you need to let us know. Go to fcbc.life on your phone. Go to the ministries section. Check out all of those ministries are listed there. And then there's a volunteer button also where you can say, yep, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to jump in. And we'll be happy to talk with you. We'll talk with you this week. We'll be thrilled. For most of us, I keep learning and keep hearing about it, what they call a K-shaped recovery to this pandemic, that if things were going well, things are really going well. But if things are not going well, then they're really not going well. And I understand that. So if things are not going well for you, please know that this church is here for you. It cares about you. If things are going well, now's the time to step up and help the next person. Because somebody helped you get to here. Somebody helped you come to know Jesus. It's time for you to do the same for someone else. Time for you to stand up and say, I can go too. Thomas did that. The pages of scripture don't record the rest of Thomas's life, but the pages of history do. Thomas, that realist, that one who needed to see the scars, moved further away from everything he knew and everyone he knew about 3,000 miles to the southeastern tip of India. And history records at least 17,000 people directly reached because of Thomas. 
To this day, there are churches in southeast India that bear his name. There are businesses that bear his name because he was willing to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our turn to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a tough message because I don't like being uncomfortable either. But God, you've called me to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Five years ago, you called my family to move 800 miles away from everybody we knew and everything we knew to come here. And God, because of that, I give you praise. God, every single person in this room has got a sphere of influence that goes beyond what a pastor could do. They go to work. They go to school. They go to ball fields and they have neighborhoods where I'm not at, where Pastor Ricky's not at. God, I pray that you would just move in us the desire, the guts it takes to get uncomfortable. Thank you for how you deal with us. Thank you for how you love us and how you accept us. And thank you also for how you challenge us to move beyond that. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power of the cross, for his sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for the person in this room or watching online who's contemplating turning that corner and coming to know you as their savior and the boss of their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you have made a decision, please let us know. Go to fcbc.life. Let's connect. And we would love to be able to connect with you. I'll be hanging out in the front if you have anything you need to talk about. Thanks. See you guys.